Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. How do you get back from the cliff of where you're chewing people out and you're not people treating people kindly? It's really getting rooted in your values. And it could be from a faith or philosophical tradition, but I think it's good to ask yourself, well, what is it I believe in? Maybe it's kindness, dignity, and respect. Maybe it's honoring people. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe it's listening to people, valuing people. We all have values that are you know, deeply rooted. You know, Try to understand, okay, what is it I believe in? It's easy, it may be obvious to say, but when you're running a million miles an hour, how often do you think, gee, and what are my values? It's like, I don't have time to think of these airy-fairy, ethereal, philosophical things. Stuff's got to get done. So values, I don't know. Not everybody even knows what their values are. So what about you? Do you have a good handle on the values that guide your life and work? The character traits you admire in others and try to manifest yourself? Or do you find such talk, as Warwick said, airy-fairy? Nebulous nonsense with no practical application to your business and your relationships. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. On this week's episode, you'll discover, we hope, that dialing into your values and treating others with kindness, dignity, and respect as a result is a far cry from airy-fairy. It's critical to team morale, including your own, and the robustness of your bottom line. Warwick and I take a deep dive into his latest blog, in which he unpacks seven key tactics to make sure you are not, to use a technical business term, an unkind jerk in your interactions. What begins in the moorings of your values branches out into such wise pursuits as living your legacy today, serving others and a higher purpose, and knowing when and how to apologize. Taking his seven points to heart and putting them into action will aid you in moving beyond your crucible and living and leading with significance. The subject that we're going to talk about is the subject that Warwick covers in a uh, recent blog on his website, on the website for Crucible Leadership, crucibleleadership.com. You can find the blog. As I always say when we have these episodes, if it's not there already, it will be there shortly. So, you know, check it out. Look for the blog. If the blog is not there yet, come back often and uh, it will be there shortly. But uh, the subject of that blog and the subject of our discussion today, here's the headline uh, for the blog, Want to Be a Great Leader, Show People Kindness, Dignity, and Respect. I love sort of the last line of the intro of, of Warwick's blog, and, and, and this will be our jumping off point for our conversation. But um, uh, Warwick poses this question to the reader of the blog. So how do we avoid becoming an, an unkind jerk in a very technical uh, business term? How do we avoid becoming an unkind jerk? Or if we are somewhere on the road to becoming one, what do we do? And that's, you know, we're chuckling at, at the language there, but the reality is 
uh, very true, Warwick, that it is po- it is not just possible, but but sadly, common when we're moving along in our career that uh, we sort of leave kindness, dignity, and respect behind in pursuit of our goals. It's very true. I mean, life is hectic. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. We live in very pressure-filled times, uh, divided times, COVID, people working from home, everything, our lives are turned upside down. And, you know, even without that, as we rise in organizations, our bosses are more demanding. Typically, you get paid more, you get expected to work more. There's no free lunch uh, in uh, the corporate world. And uh, our bosses, shareholders, boards, they feel pressure. Pressure flows downhill, and it flows to wherever we are in the organization chart, be it high level, mid level, lower level. And as the pressure intensifies, the demands to get things done, we might think of ourselves as kind people that treat people with dignity and respect. But the challenge is, as the pressure intensifies, it's like, you know, this stuff's got to get done. I don't have time for nice. It's got to get done. If it doesn't get done, you know, maybe people need to be chewed out a bit. It's not a conscious thing, but it's just, you know, we don't operate as our best selves under intense pressure, uh, or at least it's much, much harder. And so, you know, it's easy to think, oh, you know, I'm a kind person. I treat people with dignity and respect. Well, maybe, maybe not, maybe not always. And so that's right. why I sort of hesitate as I got into this because. Those are some of my highest values, treating people with kindness, dignity, and respect. It's not just the task, it's task and people. But I'd say even me, I mean, maybe especially maybe maybe all of us, we're going to have moments when it's like, really? You know, what just happened? Um, If we're self-aware enough, if we're not, then stuff happens, we don't even realize it. So the point is, this can be all of us, especially as the pressure mounts, as we rise in organizations. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost inevitable that we will have this tendency. You know, and it's interesting, and I hadn't thought about this. We have not talked about this beforehand. Um, I hadn't thought about it until you just said what you said about as we rise up and pressure mounts and things can change. You've talked in other episodes, you've talked about mission drift and the mm-hmm. dangers of of mission drift, how you have this, this vision for what you want to do in your business, a vision for your life of significance. And as you pursue it, you can get off course. And even just a, you know, a, a degree a day or a week or whatever can take you pretty far over, you know, from where you want to go. It's, 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 it's true what you're saying, I think, also about personality drift or leadership drift or or kindness drift. You can think you're going there, but you can make little compromises as you move along, as you move up that ladder. And that can lead you to a place where you go, oh, geez, I'm, I have become what I never wanted to become, right? And that's really almost your worst nightmare. I mean, as we talk about kindness, dignity, and respect, I would term those values. So really, um, kind of what we're talking about here is values drift which is mission drift is bad. Value drift feels significantly worse because values sum up what we believe in, who we think we are. We've talked about who we are and um, what's 
what sums that up and our soul and we've in, in other podcasts and, and blogs. And so when you start drifting from your values, you start drifting from everything we think that we are and everything that's important in life. And so when you're not who you believe is really important to be, that's pretty sobering. You know, if you value treating people with dignity and you somehow demean somebody without even thinking about it because it's like, look, I needed this yesterday, you know, and you're giving it to me day, t- t- today. It's not done right. I mean, why did I hire you? I mean, what the right. what the heck's going on here? I mean, you know, I'm going to get chewed out by my boss without even saying, gosh, normally you do good work, but what happened? Maybe they say, well, you know, stuff has been tough at home. I've got some kids that are sick or maybe had a death in the family. You, know, you might not even know because you didn't ask. And you right. chew them out without even thinking. Then, of course, you found out later the full story. Then you feel like, you know, horrendous. But it's... um. It's very easy to do to to treat people in a way that's not in line with your values, which is, it may not be soul-destroying, but it's soul-damaging, especially if you start doing that a lot. And what you don't want to have happen is, you know, people around the water cooler, which obviously doesn't happen as much these days, or, or your dinner table, or parents, cousins, whatever, say, you know, I remember John, I remember Mary, and... They were so nice in high school and college, but it's, I feel like they're, they're different now. I mean, what happened? It's so sad, you know? Yeah. That's not uncommon. And you don't want to be the subject of that kind of it's so sad conversation, you right. know? And it's true that it, it doesn't just affect morale of folks on your team. It also can, it obviously, when morale is affected, when people who work for you, work with you, don't feel valued, feel dismissed, don't feel like you're treating them with kindness, dignity, and respect. Their work can suffer. Um, and your bottom line as a as an entrepreneur, as a leader, the, the bottom line of your organization can suffer as well. Right. I mean, people don't mind working hard if they believe in the mission of the organization and they believe in the leader, at least not for a season maybe not 24-7, but if you start not treating people well and obviously you start moving uh, out of alignment with the mission, people are going to start saying, well, what's it all for? I mean, I don't need this. Life's too short. I just work till 10, 11 o'clock for four or five days in a row to get the proposal done and I didn't hear a thank you. I didn't hear a sorry, things are so tough. It's I didn't hear anything. It's like, really? You know, I just get chewed out because, you know, I missed a paragraph somewhere or, you know, I forgot to include something and, you know, 99% of it was great and I get chewed out for the 1%. I mean, seriously, people who can the best and the brightest people who have options, they'll leave. They'll say, you know, forget this. Life's too short. You know, let me go and work for somebody that's a human rather than some robotic automaton that just cares about the task. I mean, who needs it? I'd I'd like to work for a human, not a, you know, uh, heartless robot. So, you know, it it absolutely can affect you. Yeah. And we'll get into uh, very quickly, the next transition here, we'll get into the specifics of your blog and the point by point way that you look at how you uh, both guard against um, abandoning kindness, dignity and respect. Uh, but also how you can course correct in the midst of it. But before we do that, one of the things you, you, 
you hinted at it, at it earlier when you talked about COVID. And in, in COVID times, you said something about the water cooler and there are fewer times. And I think um, I found this fascinating story that was just done by Harvard Business Review uh, in May of this year, just, just a few months ago. And as we talk about the importance of showing kindness, respect, uh, expressing dignity toward those on your team, this bit of advice of research wisdom from the Harvard Business Review in terms of COVID and what that's done to make this even more important, I think is is a good place for us to start or, or to add this in before we start getting into your point by point. And this is what the HBR article said, the transformation of the workplace into scheduled online meetings has led to another source of deprivation the removal of serendipitous encounters. I love that phrase. For many people, hearing a colleague say, thank you so much in the hallway, or a manager telling you great job after a presentation, were a highlight of office life. Now, these seem like traditions from another lifetime. Here's the takeaway point. Without water cooler interactions, casual lunches, and coffee breaks with colleagues, we don't have the same opportunities for social connection as before. Without them, it can be much harder to find joy in your work. So what can we do about it? Harvard Business Review asks, and you respond, even though you weren't necessarily working off their story, in your blog. And point one in your blog in talking about recapturing kindness, dignity, and respect in the workplace is to get rooted in your values. You've touched on that a little bit, but let's dive a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I just want to touch on what you said because it's it's worthy of just noting what was in that Harvard Business Review article. I mean, what can happen is, you know, normally in the pre-COVID world, you might drop into somebody's office, hey, how's it going? How's the weekend? Talk about the kids, maybe. I know we talked off air, you know, big NBA final, you're a Bucks fan. Right. Hey, how's yeah. it going? Well, that would be a normal water cooler discussion. Key game now, you know, game six, you know. But without that, you might not get to what people think is chit chat. But as, you know, Chris Tuff, we had on, who wrote a book, Millennial Whisperer, millennials, I think even more than millennials, they want you know, many things, but one of the things is human connection. They want purpose, but they, they want they want to feel like people care about their lives. But when you're in the wired world that we're in now with Zoom meetings, what have you, it's easy to feel like, hey, we just got to get stuff done. We don't really have time for the chit chat. Hey, how the buck's doing? How's the family? How's the, you know? Right. Because you might find out things aren't going so well. Maybe there's a family member that's sick. Maybe, you know, Kids are having challenges at school or on the sports field. You don't get any of that human connection, which is right. part of what builds a spirit of dignity, kindness, and respect. And kind of one other thing before we get into that, the first one, you know, where this whole blog and podcast started is easy to think, oh, other people are jerks or they're not nice or they don't treat people with kindness, dignity, and respect. You know, that other person may be you. It's easy to think it's mm -hmm. always the other guy, the other person. And so that was sort of a really, if you think about your own life, it's sort of sobering. Don't be so quick to accuse others. 
of what you may be yourself. You know, people who live in glass houses and that whole aphorism. But absolutely, um, yeah. So just really getting to that first point is, so how do you get back from the cliff of where you're chewing people out and you're not people treating people kindly? It's really getting rooted in your values. And it could be from a faith or philosophical tradition, but I think it's good to ask yourself, well, what is it I believe in? Maybe it's kindness, dignity, and respect. Maybe it's um, honoring people. Maybe it's generosity. Uh, maybe it's listening to people, valuing people. We all have values that are you know, deeply rooted. And so just you know, try to understand, okay, what is it I believe in? Because it's, it's easy, it may be obvious to say, but when you're running a million miles an hour, how often do you think, gee, and what are my values? It's like, I don't have time to think of these airy, fairy, ethereal, philosophical things. Stuff's got to get done. So values, I don't know. Not everybody even knows what their values are. But that's the first point is, who are you? What do you believe in? What are your values? And it's not just airy-fairy. I mean, that's a great adjective to describe it. But those values and what is at the end of, of acting on those values affects the bottom line. Again, from this, this Harvard Business Review article, um, they uh, write this, being recognized at work helps reduce employee burnout and absenteeism and improves employee well-being. Gallup finds year after year in its survey of U.S. workers. Receiving a compliment, words of recognition and praise can help individuals feel more fulfilled, boost their, their self-esteem, improve their self-evaluations, and trigger positive emotions. Decades of research have shown. So these things that emanate from your values, treating people with, going back to our three organizing construct words, kindness, dignity, and respect, those things aren't airy-fairy in the sense that when you do that, here's study after study after study after study after study after study that says these are the things that motivate your teams to work hard for you and work well for you. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people write about corporate culture and you know, we need to improve corporate culture, which sounds fuzzy, but people spend lots of time and money on it. Really, another way of talking about corporate culture is what are the values of the organization? And ideally, you work for an organization whose values are in line with yours. If they're not, why are you there? Especially if it's really out of alignment. If you value kindness, dignity, and respect, you're in some organization that is, you know, ruthlessness, uh, ambition, and greed <laughs> yeah, or something. Right. It may not be a good fit. You know, they might not articulate that on their, you know, mission statement or value statement. Hey, we're about, you know, greed and, you know, but uh, it may be evident there. But let's assume in there's some kind of alignment, you have to lead out of what your values are. You know, you can't lead out of somebody else's values. So, yeah, you want to create a, a positive, sustainable corporate culture uh, where people are motivated uh, you know, if people feel downtrodden and mistreated, they're not going to work hard for you. They're not going right. to give it the extra mile. They're not going to give you that game-changing suggestion. It's like, you know, why should I give this jerk that I'm working for this suggestion? It'll probably just help his career. He'll give me no credit. And I mean, what's the point? You know, right. I'm just going to do my job, you know, punch in and punch out at the end of the day. And so long as I do my job, 
That's all I care about. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go the extra mile. There's no way for this guy. No way. And I'm gonna actually like call him out by name here. Um, I had a boss. I worked at Focus on the Family. I was the vice president of communications there, and my boss was Jim Daly, the president of the organization. And I used to say about Jim. Um, there are some bosses that you can work for, and I had worked for them in my in my career up until that point. There's some bosses that you wouldn't necessarily follow into, I would say. There's some bosses I've worked for I wouldn't follow into an ice cream store if ice cream were free. Um, <laughs> but I would say I would follow Jim Daly into a burning building simply because he said, let's go. And that was all rooted in the in the kindness, dignity, and respect that he showed me and he showed others and he showed the constituents of Focus on the Family. I mean, that was his character led to that kind of loyalty. And I'd like to think led to good work out of me as I walked that out. I mean, that's such a great example. And you think about it, wouldn't you want your team, your employees to say what Gary just said, that they would you know, walk into a burning building just because you asked? It's that kind of mentality that says, hey, we, we've got this bid coming up, we've got this deal, you know, there's challenges in the marketplace, we're really going to have to step up our game for the next few months. You want people saying, great, tell me what you need me to do, I'm in. You know, just because of who you are, I'm in, what do I need to do? Okay, it's not exactly in my job description, but I think I can do it, no problem. What do you need me to do? You know, as, as somebody once said, the answer is yes. What's the question? You know? Right. Yep. And that's Another what, way of phrasing it. And that's what with you and Jim Daly, right? Hey, I've got a I'm really gonna need you to step up here, Gary. You'd say, Great, the answer is yes. What do you need me to do? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And it's still like that. If I still yeah. have to, if I still have the opportunity to, you know, to do something for him, I would, I would still do it. So I would say this as we wrap up this section on values. You use the words, and I and I love the uh, phrase airy fairy, but really it's heavy Chevy, right? I mean your values <laughs> because they have yeah. impact uh, on your bottom line. They're not airy fairy at all. They're heavy Chevy. And and just and just one thing on this. Not only does it have impact on the bottom line it has impact on your career, okay? Amen. I mean, what kind of performance approval are you gonna get uh, from your boss? Well, get stuff done, but this person's team hates him or her, okay? Right. They're leaving in droves. I mean, how in the world would, in a sane organization, let's assume that they're somewhat sane and they somewhat care about the bottom line, what kind of, why would you promote that kind of person? I mean, it's like, they're, uh, I don't know if the word is pariah, but it's like there's somebody that everybody runs away from, you right. know? I mean, why would you promote that person? You know, they're a culture killer, a bottom line killer. Right. I mean, and even though, nuts. even though employees right now yet aren't talking around water coolers as much as they used to, they do text, right? Everybody's <laughs> yeah. got one of these. Um, and they can, uh, the same kinds of things that uh, this boss was X, Y, and Z or treated me this way, those conversations still take place. They just maybe don't take place around water coolers. As but they can go things. viral, social media, yep. you know, bad news travels fast. And the, in the year that we live in the social media, bad news travels even faster and even louder. So absolutely. Yep. So our second point, your second point, once you get rooted in your values, 
a logical follow from that is to take an inventory, assess how well you're doing at living according to those values. And that gets to the point that, that we made earlier about the potential for values drift. Here are my values. Here's what I believe in. Here's what is, is most important to me. Now do a deep dive on yourself and find out, am I living that out every day? Absolutely. For those in businesses and organizations, think of it this way. You might say, what, how, you know, what's our mission? How are we doing towards the mission? Let's make it more concrete. Here's our five-year strategic plan. How are we doing in meeting and achieving the objectives in our strategic plan? Every vaguely well-run organization does it. Here's the plan. Are we meeting our plan? Are we accomplishing our objectives? That's what you do. If you don't do that, you probably won't be there too long. I mean, that's just basic corporate 101 stuff. So this is pretty similar is, okay, you say you have these values. Well, that's great. But how, how are you doing living that out? Obviously, you think it's important because it's the mo- it sums up almost, as we said in another podcast, your soul, your, your most deeply cherished beliefs and values. But how are you doing? And so for that, um, you know, you can ask coworkers, friends, family. You know, it's not an easy thing to uh, get an answer to. But if you hear people say, you know what, Fred, Mary, you know, You've been under a lot of stress recently and it's just tough. And look, I get it. That's a nice way of saying you may be missing the mark. You know, it's not that hard to decode. And so you can ask the next question. So kind of what are you seeing? And um, maybe ask for some suggestions about, you know, what can you do to be, you know, a better self? Maybe ask people for help at home or things that would reduce your stress. I mean, there are things it's like, well, I'd, happy to help, but you always tell me, I'm good, I'm good, I've got it. And sometimes it's like, I don't got, I don't, I've I've not got it. I'm falling apart. You know, I can't do it all. And the, you know, one of the things that I, I've, not all the time, when I, when I first started out in my career, evaluation time was, please tell me more, tell me more, tell me more of what I'm doing well. Uh, Because I needed Mm -hmm. that affirmation. At some point in my career, I kind of know what I do well. Um, What I always found most valuable is what are those things I can improve on? And that's a that's a slightly different thing than saying what I don't do well. What can I improve on and how can I improve? And, and that goes to your point about asking other people, don't just tell me what I'm not doing right. Tell me how I might be able to do that better. Tell me how what I'm doing is affecting you in a negative way and is affecting the company in a negative way. And- those those kinds of evaluations can be true uh, lifeblood for you to, you know, sort of walk out this uh, living by your values. Yeah, I mean, it's so good. I remember uh, one of the other people we had in our podcast, Sheila Heen, uh, she's written a book on how to receive feedback, which, you know, a lot right. of people write books on how to give it but receive. And, uh, you, you know, you're really talking about some of the themes that she's talked about in her book. But um, one of the things that relates to another thing we've talked about is, if you get your whole sense of inner self-worth and self-esteem from your job and somebody tells you you're not doing it too well or yeah, there's stacks of things you can improve in and that's hard to take. And so if you want to receive feedback well and ask the question, what are areas I can improve in? And let's say that touches on value. Well, you know, I think people are a little scared of you. One of the people we had in our podcast, Kathleen right. Merkel, you know, she was in her 30s, hard-charging, driven person, and her woman boss said to her, you know, Kathleen, you scare people. 
Well, that was horrifying because she thinks of herself as a good person, which she is. But that led her to make some changes in life and, you know, a bit more balanced life and a broader perspective. So I think it's, it's a very good point to ask, okay, what can I improve on? But some self-work ahead of time would be, I need to stop getting so much of my self-worth and self-esteem out of my job. Because if I do, you will tend not to want to hear the feedback and you will find right. ways to dismiss it. If you want to receive that feedback so that you can live in line with your values, try to you know, start decoupling your sense of self-worth from your job. That makes and, sense. Absolutely. It makes so much sense. It's a perfect bridge to point number three from your uh, <laughs> blog, which is consider your legacy, right? We've talked many times on this show about you don't want your legacy to be uh, how many zeros were in your bank account. You don't want your legacy of how you remembered to be this uh, success, that success. I've talked, uh, I've shared on those podcasts, the three top musical artists in their genres, Johnny Cash and country, Frank Sinatra and jazz standards and Elvis Presley and rock and roll have on their headstones zero numbers of how many gold records they had. Right. Johnny Cash has a psalm on his. Frank Sinatra's, which I've been to, says the best is yet to come at the top. Elvis is, you know, he talks about being a son and a father. Um, so this idea of considering your legacy helps you as you as you say, what do I want to be thought of, be remembered for? It helps you move beyond what you were just talking about. Your identity only comes from your work. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, really, legacy is related to values, because you think that um, at your funeral, somebody's giving you a, a, a eulogy, some family members. Afterwards, they're chatting, maybe outside a church, or outside the cemetery and just saying, so what do we think of that? You know, and you start talking about them about happy memories, uh, you know, variety of things, you know, that make you laugh and cry, you know, a whole series of things. Well, you know, what you want the conversation to be is, I don't think you want to say, well, they were super successful, had the nice house, the nice car, the nice boat. Uh, they were CEO. Yeah, they were, they were very successful. And then there's a pause. And there's nothing else. Right. It's like, really? For most of us, it's like, no, 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 I, I'm more than my achievements. I'm more than my success, whether it's business or athletic or artistic. And you want people to say, you know, I love that person. They were a good person. Hey, they weren't perfect because who of us are. But you know what? They, they were loving. They were kind. That's the kind of, basically, you want people to be talking in the eulogy and in the cemetery afterwards. You want them talking about values, basically. Right. You know, those key memories. And so then if, if that's what you want, consider to living in light of that today. Right. And I'm going to, uh, so this is too good to pass up. So as you well know, and it, this actually proves two points of what we've been talking about, <laughs> what I'm about to say, Warwick. And you know what I'm going to say. That's why you're laughing. Listeners, my father passed away uh, at the end of May, and his funeral was just this past weekend. And for uh, I have family that lives, uh, I'm in Wisconsin, I have my, uh, my stepmother and my step-siblings live in Florida. So we did a Facebook live streaming thing of the, um, his, his service, and I gave the eulogy. So 
point number one that we talked about, about uh, the water cooler's not there, everything's on Zoom, you know, how do you know that the people that you work for, um, you know, how can you give them encouragement? Well, you watched the live stream mm-hmm. of my dad's memorial service work, which was yep. incredibly touching to me. And you sent me this text afterwards, which said uh, it was very moving, full of moments that made you laugh and moments that made you realize what a great dad your dad was. You later said, and this gets to the point of what you've just been talking about, how do you want to be remembered? It wasn't us being able to talk graveside about it, but it was us being able to talk on text. You said this, I never met him, yet after your eulogy, I felt I know him, both his eccentricities and what made his kids so proud of him. That there is a real-time example of living for legacy, right? Um, my dad was a police officer, and he did, indeed, at his at his ceremony, as you noted as well. He received from a, a police honor guard in my hometown. He received uh, a folded flag. It was very moving. But the the that wasn't all he was. And what I tried to capture in the eulogy was the way he lived his life and the funny things he did and the kind of odd things he did and that he wasn't perfect and all of those, that jumble of things in his 93 years that made him him. And that's what you're saying when you say live with your legacy. Look at your legacy. If you're not treating people with kindness, dignity, and respect, think about your legacy. How are you going to be remembered? Are you going to be remembered as that jerk who did that? You don't want to be there. Just, you know, just to take this one step further, because I think this is such a great example. Um, Because again, I'm sure your dad wasn't perfect, none of us are. But when you think of your dad's values and what you most remember about him, that boy, he really lived that. What are the two or three things you'd say that exemplify who your dad was as a person, his values and how he lived it out? Would you... And one of them was uh, one of the things I said in the eulogy, and I also wrote in, in something that I got published about it. One was he was not afraid to say, I love you. And, and many men of his generation, as I said, he was 93. He would sh- he could show love, but my dad put words to it. I love you. And he said it from the time I was, a, I was in short pants. And that was enormously important to my emotional well-being growing up and the relationships I've had as a as a as a child uh, right now to my in my marriage and my you know step parenting my uh, stepkids that was a, a, a an, an incredible value that he had another one was um, you know he he wasn't perfect but he also apologized for his imperfections and that's you know I'm I'm, I'm jumping ahead there's a point up ahead where you talk about right. that but he he was you know okay I'm sorry I, I did it that way that it was a common thing that happened to him my brother and I went to visit him in uh, in his home in Florida last January, January 2020. And it was right before the pandemic. And my brother did something that he was kind of ashamed of and that wasn't a good thing. They got in kind of a spat. And my brother then, you know, apologized and was very remorseful and was, and my dad, you know, my brother said, I'm sorry, I acted like a jerk, basically. And my dad said, stand in line. I've been doing it my whole life. So it was that <laughs> that ability to forgive, that ability to to have grace for people was another thing that was huge about him. And another thing that stuck out, if you asked for two or three, I'll give you three. The other thing was he always signed 
cards to me himself. So many men in particular mm -hmm. will have their wives signed, you know, my mom and then my stepmom would have signed dad and mom or dad and Laura. Uh, he always signed it until up until the last one I got in February of this year, my, my 56th birthday card. He signed it at age 93. That means something that shows that he, that he, he cared enough to be, pulled away from whatever he was doing and do that, that signature himself. So yeah, those are three things that live on in his legacy uh, that he's remembered for. So as we just sort of summarized this, this is such a great example. Think of the legacy of Gary's dad, Dale Schneeberger. That wouldn't be a bad legacy to have. The fact that people feel that his family, I'm sure friends, co-workers, that he loved them, that he was willing to forgive, that he was able to apologize. Think of that, if that was your legacy, I think you'd be thinking, I'll take that. That's pretty yeah. good. I'll more than take that. If that's, and I'm sure you would, I'm sure your siblings would, friends, any of us would. So when you think of a life well-lived, I mean, he was a policeman in Wisconsin. You know, he wasn't a CEO, but what would you rather? The, the, the CEO who's striving for money and power and nobody liked? Or Dale Schneeberger, whose legacy would you rather have? I think any sane person would say, I'll take Dale Schneeberger's legacy any day over some corporate CEO is all about greed and power. So, right. you know, think about what, what do you want your legacy to be? And that's a pretty good example of a life well lived. So, um, yeah. And so, okay. And I think it's a good bridge. Again, you're building great on-ramps to the next points, Warwick. It, it's a good bridge to the next point in your blog, and that's number four, which is seek significance, right? The idea of what of a life that's not rooted in only your achievements, is not rooted in what you do for a living. It's a life of significance. And I would argue, and I, and I argued that in uh, my eulogy, which was, a Herculean effort. It was 93 things about my dad. So there's a lot of stuff in there. Because he um, was, because he was 93. Right. Cause he was 93. He so away. I did, yeah. I did one for, yeah, for every year, but that all adds up to, uh, significance, uh, living a life of significance. If, if, if you live with legacy in mind, it's almost impossible not to live a life of significance. It seems to me. Absolutely. Well said. So really, you know, we talk about all the time. I mean, it's one of the key themes. I mean, uh, maybe the key theme I'd say of crystal leadership is as you bounce back from your crystal moments, those times of setback and failure, you want to live a life of significance, you know, a life dedicated to serving others and fulfilling a higher purpose. You know, what do you want your legacy to be? That is a, a good clue to go back to understand what does significance mean to you. And I think for most sane people, it does not involve power and money and success. Not that success is wrong. You can be successful and significant, but it's more living in line with your values. You know, what do, your what do you want your life to, to, to count for? What do you want to be remembered for? And really seeking significance is probably another way of saying, live your legacy today. You know, your legacy and your values are built up of small steps of minutes and hours and days and weeks and months. It's what you do today. We're all going to have times where we fall short and not have ourself. I mean, that happens to me regularly, even yesterday. I mean, it happens all the time to me that we're not, you know, not as well, hopefully not all the time, but not more often than I would like that I'm not living in line of my values. And yeah, I'm sorry I blew that. Forgive me, you know, 
Right. One of the things I find is apologizing, and we'll talk about this in a couple of points, apologizing to our husband or wife is one thing. Apologizing to your kids, somehow that's harder, but I've, I've done it and it's like grip my teeth and you know what, I'm going to do it and it does get easier. And fortunately, um, you know, they show grace, you know, uh, which is a beautiful thing. But yeah, you, you want to live in light of your legacy. You want to seek significance because at the end of the day, we're only here for a breath. I mean, in, in, in terms of millennia, we'll live 70, 80, 90, 100, maybe if you're lucky, but most people will never get above that. You were here for a breath in terms of the millennia that's gone past and will to come. You want your life, you want to be remembered well. And to be remembered well, you got to seek significance, at least in our opinion. Again, we haven't talked about this beforehand, but as you just said that, that and it says from your blog, you wrote, success is illusory and can be temporary. Uh, so choose significance. But someone who fits the bill of someone who had both success, grand success, but lived with significance is someone you know of very well. And that's your great, great grandfather, John Fairfax, the founder of the family media company. Right at the end of his life, what was he most remembered for? I, in your book right here, <laughs> Crucible Leadership coming out on October 19th. In your book, you talk about the way that his employees, because of the way he treated them, how they were touched and moved and and uh, by his death. And it, and, and it wasn't um, all of his grand, you know, all the money he made and all the papers he acquired that they remembered. It was the way he treated them, the way he treated people. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, he died in like 1877. So, you know, Victorian era. And his employees said, we have lost a kind and valued employer, mm. uh, like a, a kind and valued friend or something like that. It's like, right. that's not 1800s kind of talk, you know? This isn't the age of touchy-feely, you know? This is just, you know, this is the age where, you know, you got a paycheck and uh, you were happy to get a paycheck and uh, either what you weren't talking about corporate culture and all that kind of thing. It was just... You know, if you get a paycheck and can feed your family and kids and got a roof over your head, you would consider yourself fortunate, you know? So, right. yeah, he lived He lived his legacy. He was a person of great faith. His, you know, uh, wife loved him dearly. His kids loved him. His employees. He was an elder at church. He built a successful business, uh, you know, Sydney Morning Herald and then more than that. But he lived his legacy and it's, um, as I think of his legacy, I haven't exactly lived out the business side. Uh, obviously, as listeners would know, you know, with the whole $2 billion takeover that didn't work. But in terms of his faith legacy and how he treats people, you better believe that is animating and motivating for me that, you know, if I could, if I could get like 10% of how he lived his life, I would consider my my life well lived because he's you know as, as a businessman of faith, I feel like he's almost the gold standard. It's just awe inspiring about how he treated people and his sense of values. And I mean, there's a lot of stories that we could go on, but he would pay people back when he didn't have to. He was right. um, bankrupted by an unscrupulous lawyer for a story he wrote in a paper in England. Judge ruled in John Fairfax's favor, saying the story was accurate. Lawyer kept suing him and eventually bankrupted him. He goes back, I don't know, a uh, couple decades later or something, long time later, 
he he repays his creditors when, as everybody knows, when you bankrupt, you don't have to repay your creditors; you wipe clean. But not only did he did he do that, he paid he he repaid this guy who had passed away his widow for their court costs. I mean, who does stuff like that? That's just right. to me almost nuts. But his sense of generosity and forgiveness was awe-inspiring. So yeah, great example of somebody that is living a life of significance at a, a level that almost seems like it's impossible to reach. But it's always good to have goals to aim for. Absolutely. The fifth point is to serve others and serve a higher purpose. Tied a bit to the fourth point, is there anything additional you have that you, that you kind of want to add to that? Uh, yeah. That I mean, one of the things I say in here, and I got this from uh, Brian Price, who uh, is at Seton Hall and leads the Pacino Leadership Institute there. He, he was uh, in a U.S. Army, and he said they have a motto, which is mission first, people always. And so really, um, yeah, you want to accomplish the goal. And obviously in the military, their mission, you know, you don't succeed. It's, it's a matter of lives and national security. But I think you can achieve the mission, but you can also serve other people. And if you don't have a cohesive team, well, you probably won't achieve the mission. So it's really, you know, we define significance as serving others and serving a higher purpose. So I'd say serving others, I think, is understandable. It's not about you. It's about other people. By serving a higher purpose, it could be related to your faith, some philosophical tradition. But what do you really think life's about? Right. You know, what, you know, and maybe it's, a faith, it's a religion, it's a philosophy, but whatever you think life's about, then you want to serve that purpose. You know, maybe you think that the world is a, is a place that needs to be preserved in terms of nature and the environment. And, you know, we need to have a planet that's cleaner than the one that, you know, we grew up with. Whatever your higher purpose is, live that higher purpose today. Absolutely. And that is a, uh, again, so many of these points, uh, listener, focus on this idea of, right, how do you capture showing people kindness, dignity, and respect? How do you do that? There's, there's three or four points in a row here about the importance of significance, about the importance of those things that are not, of, of pursuing those things that are not temporal, pursuing those things that are not maybe headline grabbing, uh, but pursuing those things that are investing in other people, uh, defining a life of significance. And here's uh, this point that we just went through is serving others and serving a higher purpose. That is the key. If you do that, I would argue, it seems, I don't know how you can lead a life of significance and uh, to go back to the uh, words you used in your blog and be a jerk to people, right? I mean, you it's, it's like one will blot out the other. If you're truly pursuing a life of significance and you're keeping track of your values and you're making sure you're not having uh, engaging in values drift, I think you will end up in that life of significance. However, that does not mean we're perfect all the time, as you've said, and that leads to, I was going to say, that leads to the sixth point. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes your wires are going to get crossed and you're going to be in a position where you're going to need to apologize. Absolutely. Just one other thing just occurred to me on serving others. You often hear people say, like, life's tough right now. Uh, competition is tough and we just need to work harder. Cut some corners in the sense of I'm not treating people as well as I'd like to, but the stuff's got to get done and I don't have time to babysit people and, you know, the point is, 
uh, really getting back to ambition first. People always don't justify just because times are tough. It's COVID. The economy's tanking. Life's tough at home. All of which are real. Okay. Right. Sometimes the home life can just derail us, and that's understandable. A divorce, life, tragic things happen, and it may be understandable. But no matter what's happening to you, it never justifies how you treat other people. Don't use that as an excuse. It's a cop out. It's understandable, you know, but, you know, don't justify whether it's stuff happening at home or stuff happening above you, uh, corporate goals. It does not justify demeaning people. It is not, does not justify being nasty and unkind. Nothing ever justifies that. So quit using that as an excuse uh, to why it's okay to not serve others and treat them kindly, which gets to that, there's the connective tissue <laughs> to the next point. Number six, apologize. And that is, um, I'd argue that's a lost art in our culture to some degree. It is. We live in a culture, whether it's politics or business or the art, media, entertainment, double down, triple down, never apologize because apologizing is a sign of weakness. Well, wrong. Apologizing is a sign of strength. It means you admit that you're not perfect. You admit there are days when, you know, I mean, why is apologizing hard at times? Because we have this image in of ourselves as this perfect, good person. And so when you have to apologize, you have to admit, maybe I'm not as nice and as good as I would like to think. Maybe I'm not living my values. Maybe I'm not perfect. And so when you have, if you have your self-esteem wrapped up in, in your values, I mean, I believe self-esteem is really, uh, it should be from a faith perspective wrapped up in the fact that we're a child of God or just by the fact that we're human, we have innate sense of worth. But you've got to be willing to say you're sorry. You know, here's the sad fact is we all are going to blow it and make mistakes. Yep. I don't care who you are because you under a given a certain stress and a given a certain set of circumstances, sometimes you might think it's tailor-made to set us off. You know, whatever you do, don't do A, B, C, and D to me. If you do that, I might like lose control and get angry or say an unkind word. We all have our trigger points. Those, that's going to happen. It's inevitable. So when that happens, you've got to be willing to apologize and really and I'm not perfect in this, but try not to do the sorry if. I'm sorry yeah. if, especially if it comes across as, well, you're way too sensitive. I did nothing really wrong. But if you're such a baby and a sensitive, I'm sorry if that hurts you. Hopefully, if, if you were really a big boy, a big girl, it wouldn't hurt you. But since you're not, I'm sorry if. Okay. Yeah. That may be what's being, being received. So a full-throated, unqualified apology I'm sorry. And don't just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what? I'm sorry because I did A, B, and C. That's the ideal. No ifs and be specific. And to add to that, please forgive me, right? I right. Mean, that, is, right. that is important to say, I'm sorry, and then ask of that person, please for, forgive me. That is, a again, another act of relational humility as you're doing that that helps. It's hard to do what I call a Janet Jackson apology, right? 
when she had her wardrobe malfunction at the Super Bowl, she said, I'm sorry if anyone was offended. She didn't say, I'm sorry, I did what I did. And that's what she should have done. It's hard to do the if apologies if you say, please forgive me. Uh, when you say that, it, it, it is. It, it's a very humbling thing. It's a very humbling position to put you in. And you will find over and over again, over again, overwhelmingly, people will indeed forgive you. Yeah, it's almost a lost art. You know, you're not always going to live your values. But if you're somebody that tries to live their values, and you apologize, back to Gary's metaphor of, you know, running into a burning building, you will run into a lot of burning buildings for a boss that tries to live their values, doesn't always succeed. But when they mess up, they apologize. You'll right. be like, sign me up. Okay, I want to work for this guy. I want to work for this woman. So that will breed tremendous loyalty because sadly, it's so rare. Right. And the connection, here we go to number seven. It's You do that and it builds great personal capital, but it can also enhance financial capital. Your point seven, treating people with kindness, dignity, and respect can enhance success. You ask the question, how can that be? And then unpack it in the blog. How can that be, Warwick? You know, um, think about it. Who do you want to work for? An unkind, gruff, uh, take no prisoners kind of boss that will uh, fire you in a millisecond if you can find some person that's better than you. Uh, could care less about you as a person. Never ask about your family, about your parents. It's all business, all work, and... Uh, never gives you any praise. And at the least smallest mistake, you've got 99 things right. You do one thing wrong and they just chew you out. You know, people are going to leave that person. They're going right. to, especially those, the be, I say the best and the brightest, the p people that have the most options, they'll leave. And so, you know, yeah, you want to work for an organization whose mission you care about. You want to feel like it's being well run um, and financially stable. All of those, I think, are a given with most employees with most team members but you know they want to they want to they a lot of things you want to work for you want to work for a person of vision that's helpful but you ask people they want to work with somebody they respect they admire and a big part of respecting and admiring somebody is how they're living their values are they treating people kindly do they listen you know if your ceo happens to walk into your cubicle and just says, hey, how's it going? How's the family? If they remember your name and ask a, just some personal thing, you're like, how in the world can they know who I am all the way down here in the organization? It matters a huge amount. And so those kind of leaders, whether it's your boss or several layers above you, that creates a culture where it's you model for those around you how people should be treated. And then others... Others start doing that. I mean, it's probably not a perfect analogy. I think in, in tennis, you know, two of the top tennis players, uh, Rafael Nadal and uh, Roger Federer, they always have this sense of dignity and respect for, for people. And, you know, that's, you can see that affects not everybody in tennis, but there's, there's this culture that it, it tends to influence. It's like, okay, if I want to be great, like especially those two, and I think probably more than that, Part of that's not just being a good tennis player, but how I uh, how I treat people, how how you know, am I gracious in defeat? So um, yeah, that kind of thing can make an enormous difference to the bottom line, and to your ability to attract 
good people. You know, there's no secrets in life. You, I mean, my kids uh, from the 30 to 20s, they go on sites like Glassdoor, in which basically is a website that evaluates most companies in this country and elsewhere. Right. And it's like, okay, so how, how's the organization? How are people treated? They have rating scales. Do you want to be on Glassdoor as, as the company that's like, they chew people out, they treat people horrendously, run, leave, don't even think about applying to this place. Information's out there. Don't think that you can fool people. It's out there. So, you know, you want to be successful. You don't want to be one of those companies, to be blunt, that it gets a horrendous Glassdoor rating. What's that going to do for you? You want a good Glassdoor rating if you want to get good people. So treat people with kindness, dignity, and respect. It makes not just uh, business, it makes moral sense, it makes business sense. Just do it. Well, just do it is, in addition to being a slogan of a very famous <laughs> company, is also what the captain has done now with the fastened seatbelt sign and the plane is uh, is coming down for a landing. Before we get to the landing, I want to give you a chance to kind of sum up work, but I want to add one thing to our discussion that I found from that Harvard Business Review uh, article. As we talk about, listener, the importance of treating people with dignity and respect and kindness. Um, I was, this just leapt out at me in this, in this business article in HBR that they found in research, the Harvard Business Review found this, giving compliments can make us even happier than receiving them. That is the if if for no other reason of of the things that we've talked about here if if personal happiness and 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 enjoying your work and enjoy and having having great relationships if that's important to you giving compliments being kind those kind of things can make us even happier research shows than those who than than receiving such things ourselves that to me is a is a is a pretty big point so where do you want to leave uh, listeners today Warwick before we go yeah i mean i just want to touch on two final points one that you just mentioned it's so true one of my highest values is encouraging I have an, a sort of a, an aphorism, if you will. If you see something, say something if it's positive. And so I, I, I've been on a couple nonprofit boards, and if I see somebody doing a good job, I'll say, thank you so much for doing X, and I'll be specific about why I think that, that was so wonderful. And yeah, I mean, I don't do it to make it me, me feel good, but it does when you're living your values, you maybe begin to have a bit more respect for yourself. You mean to say, you know what? Today was a good day. Maybe yesterday I blew it, but today I actually said something nice. I did something nice for somebody. It does make you feel better about yourself. We're human. We want to respect ourselves. You know, we know when we've messed up. So it does. And kind of one final thing is that if you want to treat people with kindness, dignity, and respect, part of it, and we haven't touched on it much and we don't have time to, but I'll, I'll just briefly mention it. You've got to do some self-care. And so whether it's, you know, exercise, running, whatever it is, a walk in nature, getting in touch with your spiritual values, prayer, uh, whatever, whatever it is, uh, maybe a hobby, painting, uh, a creative thing, whatever it takes, you want to be able to do some self-care so that when you turn up at work, you can be your best self. 
So that that is some of that stuff, you know, begins at home is, um, you know, take care of the relationships you value, do some of that internal uh, weeding and self-care so that it's easier for yourself to show off the kindest dignity and respect. And so apologizing is good. What's better is minimizing the number of times you have to apologize because you're actually living more in line with your values. And so, you know, apologizing is important, but ideally, you know, it would be nice if you if you didn't have to quite so much, you know? You Amen. don't want to have to say, well, you know, I'm good at apologizing and um, my family and coworkers, you know, have forgiven me 20 times today. You know, that's asking a little bit too much grace of <laughs> that many mistakes in one day with the, with one person. So... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's time to sort of live your values. Live your values today. You want to be a great leader, show people kindness, dignity, respect, live what you believe today. It will make you feel better about yourself. And, you know, you'll actually do better at work too. So it's a win-win. Bingo, four-point landing, planes on the tarmac. <laughs> Bravo, well done. We're going to wrap up today, listener, with, uh, as Warwick does in all of his blogs, he, he leaves the reader, and I'll leave you, the listener, with uh, three points of reflection on everything that we talked about here today. Point one, how well are you treating the people around you, including your friends and family, right? We've talked about this a lot in the business context, but let's move it out of the business context as well. How well are you treating the people around you, including friends and family? That's, that's sort of reflection number one. Reflection number two, how well do others around you think you are treating them? That's where the rubber can meet the road, right? Uh, you may think you're doing X, Y, and Z, and you may be doing Q, L, and P. Reconcile those things by reaching out, talking to others, doing either in a professional context, a 360 evaluation or a 360 kind of assessment with friends and family. And then the third point of reflection is what one thing will you do this week to, to treat those around you with kindness, dignity, and respect? You probably, we hope you got some ideas from our conversation today. If you didn't write them down, if they're not sticking in your head, go back, listen to the episode again, and find one thing you can do today, you can do right now. Press pause on this podcast right now and go do that thing today. Because that, as we said at the outset, what we try to do at Crucible Leadership, our goal, our mission, um, our vision is to give you hope and healing, to move beyond your crucibles uh, and learning the lessons from your crucibles, applying them as you go to lead a life of significance is the way that you do that. So listener, until the next time we are together, um, please remember that your crucible experiences are indeed difficult. We know that. Warwick knows that. He's talked many times about his crucible experiences. But as he's discovered and as our guests on the show have discovered week after week after week, we've brought their stories to you. Your crucible is not the end of your story. In fact, if you learn the lessons of that crucible, if you apply those lessons, if you do things like we're talking about today and treat people with dignity, kindness, and respect, 
It can in fact be your crucible experience, can in fact be a rewarding time in your life. It can be not the end of your story, but the beginning of a new chapter of your story that can be the best chapter of your story. Because at the end of that chapter, the final period on the final sentence on the final page of that chapter is one that leads you to, that brings you to a life of significance.